DP show. I'm your host, Josh Raymer, joined in the virtual so check this afternoon, all the way from Canada, PFF's own John Macri. John, how are you, my friend? I am doing well. Uh, I am happy to have football back in a way because we get to talk about uh, a lot of new information for our fantasy players and obviously happy to be back in the virtual soap shack and, and talking to you and uh, get to continue to be a part of the, the IDP show team. So happy to be here. Absolutely. You know, we're not letting you off the hook. Once the season rolls around, the people need their Macri fix and we are here to give it to them. So we are going to be looking at the week two upcoming slate here. We're going to be looking at some of the notable things from week one and then spinning ahead. We're going to answer some uh, listener questions from our supporters over at the IDP And then we're going to do a little pop culture talk, John, because uh, we are nothing if not dorks. Of course. Yeah, that's what I'm uh, I'm most excited about here today. I don't even really care about the football stuff, to be honest. I know. I'm just, <laughs> let's let's just skip right to the pop culture stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> coming from two guys who uh, were part of a Marvel movie draft and then right. uh, uh, an actual movie draft uh, that Joey the Tooth book came out of. So that's who's amazing. to say that was not a fruitful exercise? Uh, yeah. But should be a fun episode. Uh, We have a lot of names to talk about. John has been doing the utilization report over at PFF. God love him. It might kill him by like week eight or nine. But until then, we are going to enjoy the fruit of your labor. John, I know this was a new project. How has it been thus far uh, putting that beast together? Um, It's been good. It's definitely a lot of work. um, But I think the response to it and and the amount of people that have have looked at it and, and found it helpful uh, already through through one week definitely makes it worth it it's I think there's a lot of really good uh, useful information in there and um, everything that you could possibly need so it's kind of like uh, hoping as like a one-stop shop if you you know don't read a lot of IDP content you can kind of pop that on I mean I use it all the time even for my work um, after uh, like during the week as well and and for my lineup so it's 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 very helpful and and yeah it's it's a lot of work like I said but um, I, I think people have uh, found it helpful and and I think that's that's what really matters so I'm happy to do it. I was laughing. I think it was DJ Caltown posted a screenshot, you know, on these websites. Now they have like the reading time and it's just, it's a, it's a formula based on how long the article is and the average number of words that a person can read. So I don't think there's anything scientific to it um, in terms of how long it would actually take you to read (laughs) the utilization port, but it did say 40 minutes, uh, (laughs) which was hilarious because usually those metrics are like, this won't take you long. It's like a three minute read, just pop in there, read it and you'll be done really quick. And the utilization reports like, Oh buddy, uh, (laughs) eat this post lunch when you need some bathroom time. But folks, the uh, don't be scared off by the, 40 minute read time it is uh it's it's i love it because you can just scan like i scan through i look for the bullet points under each chart i kind of pay attention to certain players like i have some edge rushers khalil mack von miller that are flex guys for me i'm trying to figure out okay who's playing more snaps how are these guys being utilized so there's a lot of good nugs in there and it's super useful and helping parse through what can be a fire hose of information week to week. For sure. Yeah. Like I think, and it helps to like 
you know, it's got like the jump to a team um, option as well. So you could just click the the team you're looking for. It'll pop you right to that team and you'll get all their IDPs there. And just look at the players that you're interested in, right? Nobody's asking you to read the whole thing. That 40 minute uh, reading time, it would be absurd, but hopefully they cut that out of there. It's it's a little bit uh, It's a little bit yeah. included in there. Uh, <laughs> it's like, hey guys, do you really want to read this? Yeah, yeah. Oh, but, it's good stuff. Is, yeah, just a fraction of the time it takes me to put it together. So it's <laughs> John talks about this with tears in his eyes, folks. So, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, he loves it. But we're excited to break down. What we're going to do, John, is we're going to hit some of the highlights from the utilization report and pull out some of the interesting players week to week. We're on Twitter. We know the guys that are getting talked up by the IDP managers. So we're going to touch on some of those folks uh, at the linebacker position, at the safety position. We're going to talk about some hidden gems. It's going to be a really fun discussion here. But before we do that, John, we are both in the IDP Avengers All-22 League. Of course, that kicked off officially last week with week one in the books. Learned a lot. Uh, I was very curious what my excitement level would be, uh, what my uh, the result would be coming out of that. You know, you're kind of just as far as from the perspective of someone who's playing it for the first time, you're sort of just putting guys in there and hoping for the best. Right. It's, it's how it goes when you're learning something new, you just have to do it and then adjust from there. But, uh, was really fun. I was, I was sort of surprised with how invested I was in this new league setup that I knew really nothing about, but I was definitely in there checking the scores after every round of games. I was closely tracking the Monday night tilt that we had between the Broncos and Seahawks. Uh, this past Monday to see how those scores were going to affect my outcome. I did end up losing to Justin Varnes of Fantasy Points, 65.4 to 64.6. So literally 0.8 points. And that's one thing I was not ready for, John, is these finishes are so close. Yeah, yeah, that 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 has been, uh, it, it's going to be a painful thing and it's going to be pretty consistent throughout the season. Like I lost to, uh, to Bob, uh, by 0. 0.6. Uh, so that was, that was really frustrating, especially considering I had, uh, Aaron Rodgers as my quarterback who put up, uh, an absolute stinker and, and he's officially as dead to me as he, his family is to him. So, um, that's, that's pretty dead. That's pretty yeah. dead, John. So yeah. there's no, there's no coming back for Rodgers at this point, huh? No, no, I wasn't too happy <laughs> with that. That was a big difference maker in our matchup but uh hopefully better days ahead there but it is it, it's absolutely it's a really fun format and and you, it gives you a chance to kind of get an idea of which players are truly good uh, at football and and which ones are maybe not so good right so um obviously nobody's rostering alex anzalone in this league but um there there's a lot of good uh, NFL players that maybe don't have the same name recognition in, in fantasy circles as they deserve to be because of, um, you know, that they just don't, they're not as fantasy relevant in a typical format and, and they become that here. So um, I'm excited. It's going to be a fun season and I think it'll be close uh, from this group the, the entire way because everybody's really interested in, in it and uh, it's been fun. Yeah, it was something I was curious to, like I said, just check my engagement level. Check my excitement level. Of course, there's no live scoring because it's based on PFF grades. I was curious how that would work out. You know, checking my scores religiously on Sundays is kind of part of the football watching experience. So not being able to do that, how would that affect it? But I was really into it. And I think 
it works really well, at least for me personally, as sort of this complimentary league. I have I spent this offseason trying to figure out how do I enjoy fantasy football? And I've added a lot of best balls. We did a lot of those drafts over on Sleeper. I think you were in a few of those, John. And uh, I have my home league. I have my RSO league that we're in together. And then I have all 22. And all 22 just fits really beautifully as sort of this complimentary piece. But I wanted to run an idea by you mm-hmm. and see what you think here. Because the close matchups, that's really cool. Like coming down to the wire, tight finishes, that amps up the excitement. But because of the way these scores are set up, there is a lack of drama sometimes because a player can only score so many points, right? The max PFF grade is 100. So depending on their multiplier, they can only get so many points. So if you're down 10, for example, the game's over. And all you have, even if you have your QB left, the highest he could possibly score is like, 9.84 9.84 points mm-hmm. if he had a literally a perfect game from PFF. <laughs> right. So my, my thought was to add a little bit of gamesmanship. What if we had essentially a multiplier that you could add to any player besides, let's maybe say the top four highest scoring positions, mm-hmm. throw out edge, throw out wide receiver, tackle and quarterback. But the rest of your roster, you could add a 2x, 3x multiplier and you could only use it once per week and you have to pick which player it is that you want that multiplier to go on to. No, I don't I know, John, what do you think? I, I love that. And I think that's a cool idea. Um, yeah. It's like setting like a captain for your, your daily team, right. Or, or um, like a tiebreaker in certain leagues, they have that as well. Um, but yeah, though that, I think that's a good way to do it because yeah, like you said, the scoring, it, it can be capped. And, and obviously this just adds like an, a little bit of, extra drama to it if you pick the right player um and yeah obviously won't be a quarterback because that would be uh, everybody's choice but it makes it a little bit more that adds more gamesmanship when you when you have to pick one of those other positions that maybe don't score as highly right do you go with a corner who has uh, a decent matchup or or an offensive lineman maybe that uh, that could be dominant against a weaker defensive line things like that i i love it i think it's a cool idea um definitely something to to bring up to the guys i hope that they're thinking about it at least. Yeah. So just, there you go, Chris, Bobby, Ray, free idea, some sort of multiplier so that in those matchups where you're going into a Monday night game and you have, you know, one or two players left, but you're down too much to be able to make it up based on the way the scoring works, just something to consider, but really enjoyed all 22. And if you weren't able to get into a league this year, definitely check it out next year. I know those guys are going to be looking to add new features in the future, rookie draft, maybe some sort of contract functionality. Mm -hmm. John, it's just really cool to see the response thus far because we know a lot of folks that joined up. The guys were really great about getting the word out, linking up with these sort of uh, personalities and influencers in the fantasy football community. So we know quite a few folks who are in these leagues, and it was really neat to watch the – reaction to the all 22 experience coming out of week one yeah for sure it's well deserved they put together a really great um, and unique product over there and and i mean this is basically year one that it's open to the public right so this is like as this is the bottom of what it's going to be it's just going to continue to grow and expand um every year from here on out and it's just going to get better so um yeah i really appreciate the work those guys have done and, and it's it's cool to see the the response and all the people signing up and enjoying it it's uh it's definitely um a new and fun way to play fantasy and and i hope more people get to do it as well 
Yeah, good to be in on the ground floor. Appreciate those guys. Speaking of ground floor, John, this is year one for the utilization report. Your former colleague, Dwayne McFarlane, was doing this on the offensive side for PFF. I think he still is during this time of transition. But you have taken up the mantle on the IDP side of things. And so each week, well, each time we do the preview episode, we are going to look at just some interesting nugs. This is, you know, we're big Chick-fil-A fans. We're interested in the nugs chicken wise idp wise and so you've pulled out some interesting nuggets from the utilization report and we're going to kick things off with a linebacker that was a topic of a lot of off-season discussion who has maybe become the type of player that we were hoping for in terms of his usage who's the first guy you wanted to talk about yeah, so they just played last night. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, Mr. Nick Bolton, um, is essentially playing an every down role uh, for for Kansas City. That was it. It was kind of hidden in Week One. I, I did put, include it as a note in the utilization report. Like even though he played seventy seven percent of snaps for the game, they took him out for garbage time. It was like fifteen snaps. So um, he played. He was playing a hundred percent of the snaps prior to garbage time, which um, is a great sign considering Steve Spagnuolo's uh, reluctance to use a full time linebacker it seems like they're gonna lean into that more this year because even Willie Gay played up over 95 percent last night which is really really exciting because all of a sudden the Chiefs go from this kind of wasteland uh for for linebackers and and a lot of inconsistent weeks and things like that to what could be uh and we'll see how this goes going forward I'm sure Spagnuolo is gonna you know pull the rug out from us at some point but if he doesn't uh we could be looking at some at two really, really good uh, IDP linebackers in a linebacker-friendly uh, defense. So you think about somebody like Nick Bolton, uh, who played all, like 16 games last season. He averaged just 60% of snaps. Um, and this guy was one of their best defensive players. He, he's an elite run defender. It, it definitely showed in his tackle totals as well. We saw that in week one as well, 22% tackle efficiency. Just 11.3% in week two. They played a lot of snaps, and somehow he still managed 10 tackles, right? So um, this is a guy that was, I think, second yeah, second among all linebackers in terms of tackles over expected last year because he didn't play as much, and then he racked up a ton. Um and yeah, for this defense specifically, if we can get one or two full-time linebackers, it's like I said, a linebacker front. It can be a linebacker friendly defense just because of it being uh, such a zone heavy scheme. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about why that's important later. There's a listener question. Um, and they also play a high rate of cover too, which is even better for linebacker tackle efficiency. I had done a thread on that earlier this off season. So Nick Bolton playing an every down role, being the run defender that he is in that defense. Um, I mean, he's checking all the boxes for what could be a top 12 IDP linebacker this season for sure. Yeah, it's like we were trying to make Nick Bolton happen, but it was like squeezing blood from a stone. We'd know that Spagnolo hates IDPs, but I think there's something to be said here. It's like Adam has been pounding the table for in recent episodes, bet on talent. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to give these coaches credit. I know we like to criticize from our couches these guys and say, what are they doing? What are they thinking? But I think we have to give these coaches a little credit. It could be a situation where Spagnolo just did not have the players of the caliber of Nick Bolton and Willie Gay, or maybe those players weren't quite ready to step into those roles yet. So is that what we're seeing happen here? Is Nick Bolton, Willie Gay, are they shifting to having two full-time linebackers? I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, 
last off season, uh, I think, you know, back right when the season was over, you're kind of making those initial trades in your dynasty league. You're kind of shipping off some assets, getting some draft picks, that sort of thing. Willie Gay was basically an afterthought. I was trying to sell him in our main dynasty league for like a fourth or fifth round pick in 2023, just something, anything. Cause I thought, hell, if it's going to be someone, it's going to be Nick Bolton. I certainly don't want the second linebacker in a wasteland situation for linebacker efficiency or at least linebacker scoring in IDP. But now, John, I look at the lineup. I'm, I'm making the decisions yesterday. Willie Gay's on my bench. Am I going to plug this guy in? No way, I thought to myself. And here he is with 23 points on the bench. So are we headed for brave new frontiers in Kansas City? I don't know. But at least what we've seen through two weeks has been very exciting. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And, and I think, you know, just kind of thinking about that defense a little bit and, and thinking about the personnel that they have, because I think that does matter. You know, they they trusted a lot in Daniel Sorensen for whatever reason uh, in previous years to come on and, and be like their their dime safety and play a ton because they did play a ton of dime. Um this year he's gone, uh, and their other option is Brian Cook, who who's also a rookie, right? So it's kind of this, you know, balance of you know, do they play another rookie? But now this it's this safety who's going to probably play more coverage and and get burned, or do they go with a guy like a Willie Gay and Nick Bolton who? Um, have experience in the system, have experience in the NFL, and, and have shown a little bit of success there. So that could be a reason that they're getting some more playing time. It could be a Brian Cook effect. It could be Steve Spagnuolo just coming to his senses and finally listening to us. Uh, IDP folks who have been asking for a couple of years now for those guys to be full-time players. But uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot to kind of figure out. It's only been two weeks, but it's very exciting uh, so far. Uh, I'd like to think Steve Spagnolo tuned in to the Big Nickel IDP podcast this summer and uh, came to his senses finally and realized he had two good linebackers in Willie Gay and Nick Bolton and needed to get those guys on the field. We'll see how it continues. We can only react to the information we have thus far, but thus far it is wheels up for both guys, especially for Nick Bolton. So very exciting. A little bit of fool's goad, as I like to say in the last episode, <laughs> apparently, as I was stroking out mid-episode, uh, was from the other team playing on Thursday night football and a linebacker who I had high hopes for going into 2021 and let me down in a big way. What did we learn about Kenneth Murray last night, John? Yeah, so you guys had talked about it earlier this week, right? He led all linebackers on the Chargers in snaps in week one. Um Part of that was likely due to Drew Tranquil coming into the game, um, banged up a little bit. He was he was dealing with some injury there. I think they knew they were playing on a short week as well, so they probably wanted to give him a little bit of rest. They did that. Um, Murray led the group, and and this is something that you'll find you would have found in the utilization report for people who were like you know overly excited about Kenneth Murray, which I don't think anybody really was, but. He only played 23% of the team's like obvious passing down, those third and fourth downs, um, while Tranquil and Van Noy were the were the guys that were the more trusted linebackers on those downs. Um, they played 62% and 77% respectively. So um, Murray was coming off the field. I think that was kind of the, the hidden stat to kind of pull away from the utilization report regarding Kenneth Murray, just to tell us that Brandon Staley still doesn't fully trust him, um, probably still hates him in a way, um, because we did 
see that happen in week two where he played just 47% of the total snaps uh, while while Drew Tranquil shot up to 84%. So um, that that was a big difference, obviously. I think that is going to be more the norm going forward is Tranquil in the, the closer to every down role while Murray uh, and Van Noy are, are more of the part-time players. I think Brandon Staley got the injury report before that week one game and just... <sighs> yeah, <laughs> gonna have to play Kenneth Murray, aren't I? Okay, yeah, I gonna get a so. lot of IDP <laughs> managers upset uh, when they see him as the leading snap getter, and then I chop it down in half for Week Two against the Chiefs. But yeah, the the stat that you said there was sort of this kind of flashing red sign of like, don't trust this guy from the utilization report of playing just 23% of the team's obvious passing downs with Tranquil and Van Noy being the guys that were on the field. That should have let us know, hey, they're just maybe doing this out of necessity because Drew Tranquil is hurt. Don't get out over your skis with Kenneth Murray. And I don't think a lot of folks did, but in some of those deeper leagues with really shallow waivers, if you were looking at Kenneth Murray and expecting any sort of repeat performance in terms of snaps. I think we can pretty safely now drop Kenneth Murray in all formats, but moving to the desert, John, what should we do with Isaiah Simmons? Tell us about his new role in this Cardinals defense. Yeah. So this was the one I was hoping to see in the preseason, just so we had an idea of what to do with Simmons coming into the year. And in, in, in week one, they didn't show us anything in the preseason, but they had talked about it all off season, right? About Isaiah Simmons playing this new star or slot role. Um, and it, Looks like that's going to be the case um, this year, just based on one week, obviously. But he played 48% of his snaps in the slot in week one. That's that's a lot for a linebacker and definitely a big difference from last season when he played just 16% of his snaps in the slot for the entire year, right? So um, he actually played more on the edge in the that last season than he did in the slot uh, at 23%. So just three on the edge in week one uh, for Simmons. And it was actually Zayvon Collins who played a little bit more on the edge. He played 18% of snaps uh, on the edge in week one, but neither of those roles is really ideal deal uh, i mean collins is 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 much better um than than what simmons is doing uh because he's playing more off ball linebacker but simmons playing that slot role is really probably going to hurt his tackle efficiency and we saw that already in week one he had a 5.3 percent tackle efficiency that's really really poor for uh, somebody classified as a linebacker um you know you think about the average tackle efficiency for a linebacker is around 12 to 12 and a half percent that's a big dip uh, in productivity there for Simmons, who was already uh, one of the more underperforming linebackers, even dating back to last season. He had finished at a negative 18.8 on the tackles over expected uh, model. So he was on the lower end there for sure. And it it, it definitely has me concerned. I, I don't think I'll be starting Simmons in many leagues. He'll actually be somebody that I'll be pushing down rankings probably as this role uh, continues to solidify for him. Okay, let me ask you two follow-up questions here. Mm -hmm. Number one, what about in Sleeper, where Isaiah Simmons, I believe, now has linebacker DB eligibility? Roll him out there as a DB, yes or no? Yeah, yeah. I think you can play him as a DB because he'll still get some snaps in the box there. That Obviously, the week one tackle efficiency doesn't necessarily mean that's what it'll be for the entire season because even for DBs, uh, it's it's around eight or nine percent so it's even low for dbs but uh still worth a, a a db start in in sleeper for me 
All right, question number two. Adam brought this up on the episode, and I was a resounding, no, no, you don't do that. But now, seeing the usage for Collins and the edge snaps and how that might lower uh, the expectations we have for tackles, is saving Collins a good sell right now, coming off the high of week one and that really promising start with the snap count? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm somebody who's always happy to try and sell linebackers if somebody's willing to, to overpay for them. So I would lean towards selling Zayvon Collins. I mean, I, I, I'm a believer in him. I think he does have a breakout season in, in store for him this year. What that means in, in terms of finish is going to be, um, it's going to vary. Obviously it doesn't necessarily mean he's a top 12 linebacker. So if somebody's willing to pay for him, um, and you can get yourself uh high draft picks or keep like starting offensive players, I think that's a, that's an easy choice. And I think I would sell him. Yeah. If somebody came to you, maybe, maybe offering what a, what a high second round pick in 2023, get it done. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, I would do that, that. That feels about right. I think yeah. beyond that third round, late second, I mean, it's hard to know at this point, right? Because mm-hmm. it's reverse of standing. So we don't really know how the season is going to shake out yet. But if it's a third or worse, no. Right. But if you could flip Zayvon Collins for like a Rashad Bateman, um, you know, some an offensive piece of that caliber that you really like, uh, any of those, maybe that's a good method. Look at some of the underwhelming offensive assets that we like their season long outlook. They're attached to good offenses, tethered to good quarterbacks and go make an offer. And even if you have to throw in a little bit of a sweetener along with Zavin, I think that that could be a good way to do it just in a vacuum though. I'm not necessarily looking to go out and sell Zavin based on this uh, because I think you have held him if you have him or you drafted him hoping that this breakout was going to happen. So I'm, I'm the type of player that a lot of times I want to enjoy the sort of strategy, the vision that I laid out for my team when I put it together But I think there is something to be said for, like you said, cashing out those IDP assets in exchange for offensive players that underwhelmed, especially in leagues where maybe your your league mates aren't as familiar with IDP because then you can go and grab the value because I think, John, the hardest part of IDP is finding that equivalency between offensive and IDPs and figuring out how to value those guys in trades. Absolutely. Nope. Yeah, I think that's a good call. And it, it, it all depends on your league, right? Every league is different. So um, there's going to be leagues where linebackers are significantly more valuable than, than in others, or you're starting for them, right? So that makes everything, uh, all those things kind of play into it. Um, same thing with second round picks, right? If it's a 16 team league, you know, a second round pick isn't as exciting. But um, yeah, I mean, if it is a second, you know, looking at the draft ahead, there's always good offensive players available within those first, you know, 15, 20 picks. So uh, I, I, I like the move, but it's totally dependent on league and, and obviously build of your team. Exactly. So let's wrap up this sort of look at exciting, sexy linebacker names with the sexiest linebacker name mm-hmm. of all. And I'm very excited as a manager of this player in our main league. Let's go out to Las Vegas and talk about, in my opinion, probably the most surprising development coming out of week one with that linebacking core. What did we see out there that caught your attention? Yeah. So as we know, um, 
that just to start for people that aren't aren't aware, El Diablo, uh, it is Spanish for a fighting chicken, mm-hmm. uh, and Divine Diablo is the Raiders uh, LB one fighting his way past Denzel Perriman uh, to be the LB one for the Raiders. And look, Perriman got hurt last uh, in in week one, so people were like, "Oh, now you know Divine Diablo is going to move up and he's going to be the Divine Diablo was already out snapping him before the injury um, the, through the first three quarters where Perriman was in the game and before he left uh diablo had played a hundred percent of uh the linebacker snaps for for the the raiders while perriman had played 54 percent jayon brown was playing 52 percent so there there's a lot to like there because i think divine diablo and sleeper is another person that uh, has that db designation that's a big big boost for his value um but even more so just, you know, for those people that held on to him uh, and, you know, trusted the process that he would emerge amongst the group of not so great linebackers. Uh, it's it's going to be a good year for Divine Diablo if he can hold on to that role, which it looks like he will be. I'm not sure what Perriman's status is for this week, but I don't think it really matters for Diablo's uh, snap share. Yeah, you love to see it. New coaching staff coming in. He had the green dot on the helmet playing some Really a high number of snaps, like you said, even before the Perryman injury are the signals to me that this is not just a mirage. This is not just a fluke. This was in the plans. Sometimes, like with the Kenneth Murray situation, things don't go according to the coach's plan in week one. But I think this was the plan for the Raiders from the jump. They wanted to get Diablo out there. And even though things, again, looked pretty grim for this guy coming off a rookie season where he did show some promise near the end of the season. There were some glimpses there, some high tackle numbers late in the year. But it was a question of new coaching staff. How is Josh McDaniels and this new defensive coordinator, how are they going to look at this guy who's sort of this tweener, but man, it is exciting time to be a manager of Double D. Do you think this usage continues? Assuming health, is this the Raiders linebacker that you want on your roster? Yeah, I would think so. Um, I mean, it, it makes sense, right? You look at the NFL and how they're, you know, the, the linebackers that they covet, they they want these like decent coverage defenders, uh, guys that can move in space and, and aren't just kind of like two down thumpers, uh, which is more like Denzel Perriman. But um, Diablo is a converted safety as well. He played that, uh, I think it was Virginia Tech was his his college, but he used to play safety. They converted him to a linebacker. He's He has that kind of coverage experience. He's a, he's a better mover on the field. He can maybe pick up tight ends in those short and intermediate areas of the field and, and play a little tighter coverage there. So I, I think it makes sense just in terms of maybe what the, the Raiders are, are doing as far as adjusting to the NFL and uh, uh, the, and, and, Defending the pass, which is the most important thing uh, for a defense to do as opposed to the run. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. I think Diablo can be that LB1 for the rest of the season. For it's an interesting. Raiders. Yeah, I agree. He is the Raiders LB that you want. We wondered if it was Perryman. We wondered if it was Jayon. Turns out, Double D, the fighting chicken. Really <laughs> interesting conversation from the athletic football show. Robert Mays was talking to Ali Conley, and they were saying that it's less about the positions. Don't, don't like because they're mentioning the Ravens and Kyle Hamilton, the fact you have Patrick Queen as a linebacker, Kyle Hamilton as a safety. He said, pay attention to body types. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that. There is a growing movement in the NFL with these defensive coaches to worry less about 
how these guys fit into these boxes that have been predetermined and used for decades now and worrying more about body types and getting more of these certain types of guys with these frames and these builds in certain positions to make things happen. You saw that with the Ravens. You're seeing that with a guy like Divine Diablo. He is that tweener, but he has the body type. This coaching staff wants there at the linebacker position. So we do love to see it. Double D, arrow up in Vegas. John, let's talk about some hidden gems. These are guys that didn't blow up the box score, but stood out using underlying pass rush metrics. And I want to kick things off. you got a great list here. But let's start. We talked about Double D. Let's mm-hmm. start in Denver with Double B. Yeah, so Baron Browning um, actually ended up being uh, second among Denver edge defenders in snap share at 60%. So he played ahead of Randy Gregory. Uh, Randy Gregory came on more during uh, passing downs. Baron Browning played a little bit more on early downs. But overall, Browning actually um was second uh, overall behind Bradley Chubb and he played really well. Uh, he had a 71.8 pass rush grade, 23.1% pass rush win rate and a 15.4% pressure rate. So really, really strong pass rush numbers. He only had one tackle in the box score, right? So people are going to look at those box scores. They're going to say, okay, he probably didn't play first of all, but then also he probably wasn't very effective. But the truth of the matter, looking at some of these numbers is that he was effective. He was winning on a, on a regular basis at a, at a high rate um, and is, and is affecting the play. So he's getting a chance to, um, play this new position and he's doing it well. And we saw that a little bit in the preseason as well um, when he had like 90 grades and, and, and things like that in week one, but it's continued a little bit here into the, into the regular season. And those are the kind of things that are those numbers, those hidden uh, metrics are more stable uh, going forward than just box score. Right. So that, that was kind of the purpose of some of these uh, names that are on here. Yeah. Don't, box score hunt because you're going to be left holding the bag. That's just how IDP works. Look at the metrics that are indicative of future success that are leading indicators, not lagging indicators. And this is what we're trying to bring to the forefront here. We mentioned Barry Baron Browning. He was a topic of conversation moving over from linebacker. I think it actually is going to end up salvaging his value because as a linebacker, he was probably third or fourth in the pecking order. But now as edge rusher, we're seeing he is the guy alongside Bradley Chubb, even with Randy Gregory there. Will that continue? We'll see. But very promising start to the season. What about furious George Karloftis, John? Again, Chargers Chiefs played last night. What did we see from the rookie edge rusher? Yeah, so everybody's, I think, aware, you know, he led the Chiefs uh, edge rushers and snaps in week one. He did it again in week two. Um, so uh, he played 77% of snaps, uh, which was 12% more than the next Kansas City edge, which I believe was uh, Frank Clark, who we all know is uh, ass. Um, but he didn't have necessarily as great of the advanced pass much pass rush metrics uh, that he did in week one here in week two. Week one was really impressive. Uh, I think I had posted about it, but it's 19.4% pressure rate, 22% win rate and a 70.4 pass rush grade. Just put up a tackle and a pass defense in the box score in week one. Didn't really do much of the box score again in week two, despite all the numbers, but um, you know, he he, he had a 56.1 pass rush grade and a 7% pressure rate. I think what matters most for somebody like Karloftis is that he is being trusted uh, and utilized as their top edge defender, which again, it's a smarter move considering the group, but, 
volume alone will lead to some production for him. It's going to take some time, obviously, for him to acclimate to the NFL. But the fact that they're even playing him this much early on is a great sign for him going forward. I agree. There is a great saying from the underdog football show that I love, which is that the post by rookie bump candidates, they talk about wide receivers in particular, guys that could really make a leap after they get through their bye week. And I see a lot of these rookie edge rushers, Karloftis falls into this box. These guys will get better as the season goes along, especially if they're getting the opportunity. So Baron Browning playing a new position, George Karloftis coming in as a rookie. Nice speculative ads in deeper leagues if these guys were not already rostered, especially Karloftis, if he wasn't acquired in a rookie draft, for example, if these guys are out there on waivers in deeper leagues, definitely worth checking out. John, I feel like the next three names here on your list are edge rushers that in these sort of like medium depth leagues, if you're starting like six to eight IDPs might be out there on waivers. So let's kick things off with one of our personal favorites from the New York Jets, an edge rusher that we liked coming into last year that we're now getting to see what he could do in a new setting. Who's the first guy we want to talk about? Yeah, so Carl Lawson. Um, obviously, you know, he didn't have an elite pass rush grade uh, in his first game. It was 612 but he had a 20% win rate and a 15% pressure rate. Um, it's his first game back from, from an Achilles injury, his first full game, that is. Uh, he also landed two QB hits, which is something we know that he can do uh, pretty regularly. Um, but I think it's a good sign. You know, that that win rate, that pressure rate, it's showing that he's, he's winning on second effort. Um, and that kind of is reflective in his pass rush grade more so than, um, you know, if it was higher, showing that, he, you know, he's winning uh, quicker off the jump. Which, again, it's going to take some time because, like I said, this is his first full game back from an Achilles injury. I'm sure he's uh, easing himself back in a little bit as well. But there's good signs there, at least for for Carl Lawson, Snapshare included, uh, leading the Jets edge defenders and uh, playing 85% of the third and fourth down snaps. So he's out there being trusted regularly uh, at a high rate. So still very high on Carl Lawson, even though, you know, he didn't blow up the box score. Absolutely. We love that. Carl Lawson, we know that among a stocked defensive line, that pantry is not empty under Robert Sala coming over from the San Francisco 49ers. I'm worried. I was listening to around the NFL and I agree with their host and Hansis that he may be losing the locker room a little bit with some of these comments that he's saying. Dan, a longtime Jets fan, has had to endure and listen to coaches slowly lose their minds over the course of their Jets tenure. So is he maybe losing his grip on the steering wheel a little bit? We'll see. But we know he has stocked this team with defensive linemen. And along with Quentin Williams, Bless you. Thank you. We like Carl Lawson the best, especially amongst those edge rushers. Um, but let's talk about another edge rusher that is severely underrated from the city of brotherly love. Who's the next guy we want to talk about? Yeah, Josh Sweat. Um, so he led all of the Eagles edge defenders in snap share this first week, 71%. And he played a high rate of those third and fourth downs as well, 87.5%. Um, but just three tackles, two QB hits in the box score. Not a big game for him, but he was showing you know, why he led that group uh, in snaps because he is the best pass rusher on the team. And I'm including Hassan Reddick in there. 23.1% um, win rate for Sweat, 11.5% pressure rate, 75 
85.1 pass rush grade. Um, really impressive work. And, and you know, you compare him to somebody like Hassan Reddick, who came over as this kind of not big name free agent, but they gave him a decent deal there, um, who had a 0% win rate, a 0% pressure rate, and a 45.4 pass rush grade on nearly 70% of snaps. So, John, that just seems not <laughs> great. That seems not ideal for the big name free agent signing. Yeah, not optimal uh, in his first game. And I mean, look, this is the thing with Hassan Reddick, right? He's always been a volume producer. He's never really shown that he can be a, a truly elite pass rusher, even though he's compiled some stats that would tell you otherwise. That's not something that, again, we've talked about it already, but a stable metric to follow is just looking at the box score. You have to look at some of those advanced metrics as well. Hassan Reddick has never really shown that. Um, and if he's not going to get the volume, even though he did play 70% of snaps, it is a bit concerning uh, that he can produce on his own merits. But Josh Sweat um, it was really impressive. I think he would be the edge to kind of buy low on right now if you're looking for uh, somebody on the, in that position uh, for the Eagles defensive line. I think Josh Sweat could be a really nice play uh, this season. Love that. It's a guy that we've mentioned. They paid the man. When really, it, it didn't seem like that was the natural next step. I think there were some questions around whether this Philadelphia regime wanted to just blow things up along the defensive line. They don't. They end up re-signing Sweat. I think it was last year, got the extension. Uh, they bring back Derek Barnett, who unfortunately tore his ACL, and then bring in Hassan Reddick, uh, as you mentioned there, to pair with Josh Sweat. But I'm with you, man. Josh Sweat is the guy that I want. And speaking of guys I want on my roster, this next dude has been an ass kicker for years down in Tampa Bay and maybe a little quiet week one, but brighter days are ahead for this next guy, John. Yeah, Shaquille Barrett uh, in Tampa Bay. I mean, if anybody watched the Sunday night football game, you could kind of you could see it during the game. Like he was he was wrecking shop there against the Cowboys offensive line. And uh, it showed in his numbers in in 13 percent pressure rate, 30 percent win rate, which is pretty absurd. Nobody hit that uh, on the season total last year. So obviously very high uh, 73.1 pass rush grade, just the two tackles and a QB hit. But Shaq Barrett showing that he is still one of the best pass rushers uh, in the NFL he's going to play a ton of snaps Um, he always does that's a very much like a two edge defender team there in Tampa Bay with JPP gone that's Joe Tryon along with him but Shaq Barrett is far and away the the best player at that position for the Bucs look at that box score if anybody's panicking about him now would be the time to get him because he's going to have big games and they're going to happen soon and then he won't be as attainable that's right so we know Baron Browning are you starting Baron, Baron Browning, let's say you're in a deep league like ours. Let's say he's listed as a defensive end or a D lineman and you start two of these guys. Are you rolling them out there or maybe a defensive flex? Are, are you putting this guy into lineups yet? You know what? I, I was kind of considering it this week because I mean, there's some leagues that I'm in and it's like you start five defensive linemen and then an IDP flex as well. So that's kind of where I was considering. I mean, in a typical league, I'm probably not uh, just yet. I want to see it a little bit more just in terms of snap total. Um, but I mean, he, if he's going to be a starting edge for, for the Broncos, then I, I would definitely be looking at uh, playing him in, in, in those deep leagues uh, pretty soon. And I actually picked him up in our all 22 league as well. And I'm considering putting him in this week, but that means I would have to bench either Levante David or Cole Holcomb. And that's uh that's a, that's a tough choice for me. 
That's not happening. Levante <laughs> David, one of your favorites, and Cole Holcomb, yeah. obviously, you're growing the mullet out when he yeah. wins you fantasy titles in like yeah. uh, half of your league. So, okay, Baron Browning, we're still wait and see mode. Yeah, with it, double B. Yeah, I think I think wait and see. Give it a give it another week or two, um, and we'll see how sustainable the the snaps are. We'll see what's going on with Randy Gregory. I know he had been dealing with some injuries as well, but uh, it it at least he should at least be on people's radar at this point. Mention Furious George Karloftis is obviously already played, but kind of spinning ahead, John. Let's look at these three other guys that you mentioned and play a game of who would you start. I'm not going to yell like Adam. It's middle of the day. I don't want to scare <laughs> my neighbors, but let's look at these three guys, three guys here. Josh Sweat, Carl Lawson, Shaq Barrett. So Josh Sweat, Monday night against the Vikings. Carl Lawson against the Cleveland Browns. Shaq Barrett against the New Orleans Saints. You got to start one of those guys. Who do you like best? Oh man, that is uh, it's tough because the the matchups for Barrett are are a little and for uh, Sweater a little tougher, or for Lawson. I mean, I you know what? I think I'd still start Shaq Barrett. I, I'd have a hard time benching him in in most leagues. He just he plays so much. He's still you know, I think the the best of the three, even though it's, it, you know, it's getting closer. I think Sweat and Lawson, you know, they're, they've done enough to show that they could be in that conversation, but Barrett's the one that does it consistently and uh, has shown the truly elite stuff. So I, I think I'd go with Shaq Barrett. I worry about the Saints offensive line. That's a pretty stout unit, but the Falcons got after them last week. It's Jameis Winston for yeah. crying out loud. And it's Shaq Barrett, the best of these three. So I, even with those concerns, would go Shaq Barrett one, Josh Sweat two, Carl Lawson three. Are you thinking the same here? I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I think you definitely would want to see another week of Carl Lawson just to see how he looks with that Achilles. But um, so, yeah, I think I would go Josh Sweat two and, and Lawson three. Love it. So there's a question that I was trying to answer, John, in our main league. I have Cam Hayward, so he's not coming out of my lineup at that defensive tackle spot. But I was looking to pick up a backup defensive tackle. You got a couple guys here. So I want to get your temperature check. You're making that same decision. You're maybe your defensive tackle got hurt or you're looking to kind of solidify that backup position between Kenny Clark of the Green Bay Packers or Dalvin Tomlinson of the Minnesota Vikings, which guy do you like best to fortify your IDP lineups? Yeah, so as much as I like uh, Tomlinson, I think he's kind of an underrated player. I mean, Kenny Clark, I, I had, I think it was a bounce back candidate I had him as for this offseason, but I mean, he showed some like truly uh, game wrecking ability in, in his first game of the season this week, 25% pressure rate, 21% win rate, 90.6 pass rush grade. Didn't put up a sack, but he gets Justin Fields this week against Chicago, um, which is a great matchup for him. And uh, he's playing 69% of the snaps. Nice. Uh, he's, uh, he's up there with, you know, the, the high snap totals, the, the great pass rush metrics. So Kenny Clark is just uh, a beast. I think he's somebody that kind of went underrated this offseason, and uh, I think he's going to be a, a really good DT option uh, rest of the season. Love it. I agree with you as well. I would be looking to pick up Kenny Clark. If he's out there, folks, right. on your waivers, and you're looking to maybe get a solid 
D tackle option, or maybe you've got one of these elite guys, an Aaron Donald, DeForest Buckner, Chris Jones, Cam Hayward, and you just want a really solid backup in case these guys go down. Kenny Clark is an excellent option. So go scoop him up. John, let's move to, we got some listener questions coming up here in just a sec, Mm -hmm. but kind of surveying the landscape, checking out, you know, some of the questions that were coming in from IDP managers after week one, a consistent thread I saw was what do we do with all of these safeties? So from the utilization report, you pulled out some alpha safeties that are playing significant percentage of their snaps in the box. Who are some of these alphas that we need to be paying attention to? Yeah. So last season there weren't, I think there was one that played over 50% of snaps in the box. I believe it was Jonathan Abram at like 51%. So I don't expect that these guys are going to continue up over 50%, but there were five players who played over 50% of their snaps in the box. Obviously that's important. The closer these guys line up to the line of scrimmage, the higher their tackle efficiency tends to be. Um, And leading the group, actually a tie for, for first, Brandon Jones of the Miami Dolphins and Kyle Duggar of the New England Patriots at 59% each. That is a very high rate for a safety. Um, and y- you'll see it in their numbers as well. You look at their box score week to week. These are guys that are clearly, you know, they have good tackle floors. Uh, they're being utilized uh, at, on on volume heavy roles, which is good for Brandon Jones, especially who was sharing time with Eric Rowe. Um, but he played hundred percent of snaps this past week. Roe didn't play. He might be back this week. So that'll be something to monitor if, if he, you know, kind of plays into that at all. But I love Brandon Jones this week going against the Ravens. You remember uh, last year, the, when Miami played Baltimore, they have they rushed their DBs. Uh, Javon Holland and Brandon Jones rushed basically on uh, like almost half their snaps. It was pretty crazy. Uh, we'll see if they do that again this year. Um, but either way, Brandon Jones, Kyle Duggar led the group. Uh, after that, it was Von Bell at 54% of the Cincinnati Bengals. Grant Delpit of the Cleveland Browns at 53% and Talanoa Hufanga of the 49ers at 52%. Those were the five guys that played over 50%. Grant Delpit's a really interesting one because uh, he took over as an every down safety for Ronnie Harrison. Um, Von Bell, we know he's typically the box guy there with, with Jesse Bates uh, playing the deep role. And Talanoa Hufanga of the 49ers, I think is going to be the one to watch. And I think he might be the biggest risk of the group for that to not continue just because of the way that game was. It was a really weird weather game, really sloppy. I think they wanted those extra players in the box because of uh, it was going to be a low passing game anyways. So um, we'll see if that continues, but obviously he had a great game as a result. Yeah. The long hair looking like Troy Palomalu out yeah. there. Very exciting, but he is, he's the one that I just want to wait and see. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely adding him on the off chance that he does get this box usage moving forward, maybe not to this extent, but if he's playing 35, 40% of his snaps in the box, that is very juicy. you got a couple other guys here, John, that just missed the cutoff in Buda Baker and Nick Cross with the note that Cam Curl should be contending for mm-hmm. this list here once he returns from injury. Yeah, definitely. I think Curl... 
you know, if he should be back this week, and from what we saw in the preseason, there's a very good chance he could come into this uh, into this range as well. But Buda Baker and Nick Cross, they were right there. Baker 48%, Cross 47%. We know this with Nick Cross, obviously, because of Gus Bradley's defense, that he was going to be that guy. Um, but Buda Baker played uh, a ton in, in the box. And I think, you know, people are kind of, hoping for his resurgence as an IDP because it was a bit of a down year last year with Jalen Thompson kind of emerging as this big tackle guy. I think that could uh, flip-flop again this year and and have Buda Baker back uh, in that role. Love to see it. Buda Baker and Cam Curl. Nick Cross, we know, I've planted a flag on him, so he is doomed to fail this season (laughs) if last year's flag plants were any indication. But speaking of these safeties, John, let's jump into it. A lot of our Listener submitted questions over at the idpshow.com are concerning these safeties. So let's kick things off here with a question from Matthew Leach. He asks, I lost Jamal Adams in my redraft league. Pour one out for Jamal Adams done for the season. Roughly 30 DBs rostered in my league. Start two. Better to look at streaming DBs for the rest of the year or look at spending some fab. Talano Hufanga, Marcus Epps, and Marcus Williams and Brandon Jones are available. John, what do you think? Should Matthew jump in and spend some fab on replacing Jamal Adams? I think so. I think it's worth it just considering how many DBs are rostered in that league. If there's 30 already, you, you kind of want to get in on guys that um, could potentially be be better than the top half of the ones that are already rostered. And I think Brandon Jones has a really good shot at that. We talked about him obviously in the alpha section there. I'd be looking to spend maybe eight to 10% of fab on, on a Brandon Jones, just because I think he has that upside. Um, he's got the pass rush upside as well. They're going to continue to use, utilize him as a blitzer. Hufanga would probably be close as well. at probably about 5% fab uh, to take a shot on, on a Hufanga. Yeah, I agree. It's, The way I like to play fantasy is anytime I can get a set it and forget it stud that can reduce the number of decisions and the amount of complexity and uncertainty I have to deal with week in (laughs) and week out, I'm going to do that. Now, he asked a philosophical kind of follow-up question here that if your league is not super deep, is it wise to go spend your fab replacing someone like a Jamal Adams or a TJ Watt or save that for offensive players and just stream defense if the league is not super deep. I think with that context, I'm probably going to be spending most of my fab on offense. And if you if you have a pretty deep waiver wire, I mean, some of these waiver wires, John, where folks are like, pick three linebackers to pick up off waivers. And it's like Bobby O'Karake and Cody Barton and David Long. I'm like, oh, my God, I wish I was in these <laughs> leagues. This is, this is amazing. Uh, so I think in those leagues, that changes my answer a little bit. Uh, because if it's a a medium to deep league, and there's not a lot of options out there on waivers. If you are in a situation where you did lose a set it and forget it stud like Jamal Adams, I would be fine spending some fab to pick up Brandon Jones. I know you've, you said he's going to be top 12 moving forward if the usage continues. And that's just the way I like to play fantasy. But I think there's something to be said for the other side of the approach, John, which is just streaming your defensive guys week in and week out and saving that fab for the offensive guys. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you there. That's what I would be doing as well. It's it because it's a you know a, a shallower league and there's options available. Um, the 
people are going to be on top of the offensive more than they are on the defense. It's just going to happen. So, you know, somebody like uh, a Najee Harris goes down, you're going to want to spend, you know, a lot on like a Jalen Warren, for example. Right. So there's, there's options like that, um, that for IDP, there's going to be plenty, right. It's a lot of warm body production. You know, if Shaquille Leonard goes down, there's a, there's a Zaire Franklin out there that you could pick up and is going to be fine. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. It, it would be the offensive stuff and then just kind of play it by who's healthy and and who you like more on the, on the IDP side. And if you're going to splurge splurge on guys that actually have the ceiling to be difference makers for your lineup. So someone like a Brandon Jones, even though that's not a sexy name, if that can be a locked and loaded top 12 guy that you can set and forget week in and week out, I don't mind dropping a little bit of fab. We're not, I would never advocate for where you spend no fab on IDP, unless you're like in a league that starts like one IDP or two or something like that. But if you're starting like six to eight IDPs, I think it's still a situation where even if that waiver wire is loaded with names, I'm fine dropping some money on a guy that can truly be a difference maker for your lineup. Because let's be honest, a lot of the guys we pick up off waivers are not that. They are one to two week rentals at best. So I am not going to drop a whole lot of money on guys unless I have a lot of certainty that they are going to be rock solid moving forward. And I think that Brandon Jones falls into that camp. So let's move to a couple questions from Eric Harms. He starts off with a question directed right at you, Mr. Macri. (laughs) Yeah. So has Dane Belton's value fallen enough yet for Macri to trade him to me for a 2023 fifth round pick? Yeah, I forgot I wrote this response. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't read it. But that, yeah, I'm, I'm holding on ransom, Eric. You know this. Uh, you can come and get him. You got to pay up for him, though, because at this point, I know that you want him. So you, you're going to have to pay. I'm not going to give him to you for a fifth. But I do think he's going to be back this week. Uh, Dane Belton, that's a safety for the New York Giants, and uh, he's a rookie. I think he could potentially work in there as a third safety. Um, but yeah, I, not, not a 2023 fifth. Come on. You're way too spiteful for that, as we know, especially when you know that somebody wants a player on your team. Exactly. All right. Second question here from Eric. What disappointing player from week one will have the biggest bounce back in week two or the rest of the season, a.k.a. who should I be targeting in trades? Who are some disappointing players that you like their outlook for week two and beyond, John? Yeah, so... um I like Cincinnati Bengals edge defender uh, Trey Hendrickson uh, for for this week specifically. Look, he had just four tackles in week one. He couldn't get a sack against Maserati Mitch there uh, in Pittsburgh. But he gets the Cowboys offensive line, which is at at this point made up mostly of spare parts, uh, as is their backup quarterback, uh, Cooper Rush, who's supposed to be coming in uh, and and is going to play. So Rush allowed a 40% pressure to sack conversion rate in 15 dropbacks in week one. That's very high for for anybody um, who wants to look into those numbers. So I'm going to bet heavily on Trey Hendrickson having one of the better weeks for edge defenders and a, a definite bounce back after a, a quiet week one. Yeah. in the same way that King Derwin picked Travis Kelsey up and <sighs> body slammed him, I, I, you sent in our, uh, our Marvel DM that your wife literally had to tell you to calm down after that play last night. <laughs> 
Right, right. I'm sitting there on the couch and I'm I'm kind of half watching the game at that point. I was doing something on the computer and and I just kind of saw that and I popped out of the couch and I was like, is that Derwin? Was that Derwin that's doing that? She's like, calm down. The kids are sleeping. I was like, and then they're showing the replay. And I was like, it was, it was. <laughs> so I, I got a little animated and uh yeah, I was kind of uh like replaying it for her with using the pillows um so she she wasn't as much of a fan of that she thought i might have been losing my mind but yeah she just patted you on the head and said that's good honey yeah, i'm glad okay. you have i'm glad you have hobbies that you like but shut up before you wake the children exactly. <laughs> when we have when you have kids folks you can't go crazy and scream and uh, you need to get like we have a shed where you can come out and watch your favorite uh, football team or football players body slam human beings but the reason i bring that up I agree. I think that this Bengals defensive line is about to be suplexing and power bombing Cooper Rush into oblivion. We may be down to the third string quarterback by the time this game is over. (laughs) So I love that call. Uh, John, the rest of the season, the guy that you have here is a guy that I've seen a lot of questions about because of the tackle Grim Reaper coming over from the Arizona Cardinals to the Minnesota Vikings. And suddenly managers are asking, what do we do with Eric Kendricks? But you're saying, don't worry, folks. Kendricks is going to be fine rest of season. Yeah, look, it's been one week, right? There's no need to be panicking about somebody like Eric Kendricks. He played every snap. That's, That's the main thing that matters. Yes, Jordan Hicks had a big game. I mean, if you want to drop Kendricks for Hicks, if you have those options in your league, go ahead. It's You likely have shallow waivers at that point anyway, so if you want to swap him out. But I'm not concerned about Eric Kendricks. I know he had just four tackles. It happens. It's going to happen. Um, and look, the good thing with the Vikings is that they're playing him every down. They were 14th in zone coverage rates this year, uh, or this this first week and they were above average in cover two rate as well so they have strong indicators for season-long tackle efficiency which you love uh it worked in hicks's favor this week but that will even out over 17 games that's not going to be you know jordan hicks with a 20 percent tackle efficiency and eric kendricks below 10 every single week it's just not going to happen so i think kendricks is a nice buy low for me right now i think people are really low on him just after one week at the I got a ton of should I drop Eric Kendrick's questions. Um, but no, you don't have to. There, there's no reason to panic after just one week. Um, so I, he would be the buy low for me. I think you might even find him on the waiver wire now because people were so pissed that they dropped him. Yeah, if you see Eric Kendricks on your waivers, pick him up and then send the manager who dropped him a fruit basket and say thank you <laughs> for gifting me this top 15 linebacker because that's all Eric Kendricks has been. And I think even with the presence of the tackle vampire coming over from Arizona, Jordan Hicks being there, look, it's cool. Like, it's awesome that now we have two viable linebackers from the same team. I don't see that as a negative, but I'm certainly not dropping Eric Kendricks after week one. John, let's move to another question here from Matt P. He said, okay, starting Malcolm Rodriguez, Jalen Petrie, or Jaquan Brisker after seeing their week one involvement. Okay, so I I think I read this as maybe like a pick one, um, which I don't maybe now thinking about it again, and I don't think that was the question. But um, I I mean, the guy that I'm most comfortable with, I guess, from that group is Jalen Petrie. 
Um, so he played every down for the Texans defense. 40% of his snaps actually came in the box. That was something we saw in the preseason as well, is that they want to use him uh, a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage, which is great for IDP. Jaquan Brisker, it, it's close. You know, he's uh, it, the, the usage just isn't as ideal as with Petrie. And Rodriguez, I don't think I'm starting him yet. I, the usage is better than what it could have been obviously coming into the season playing behind maybe somebody like a Derek Barnes or um, whoever else they had there, Jared Davis, who they cut, but um, he's moving up a little bit. And obviously Alex Anzalone is still the, the every down player for the lions. So I'd want to see Rodriguez's usage get up probably over 75 or 80% before I feel comfortable starting him, which I think it was 67. I want to say just off the top of my head um, in week one. Yeah, I'm with you. Petrie's the only one right now that I have confidence. We need four from the Lions. By the way, John, I don't know. I, I see uh, the way my TV is set up. I have Google TV, so it advertises movies that it thinks I might like. And I've been seeing a lot of this knockoff Redbox Thor uh, called Thor End of Days. Have you seen this? No. It's incredible. It, it's like, um, I think Redbox did this. So if you went to Redbox, there would be knockoffs of a lot of the big movies. And they were just hoping that dum-dums would come up and say, oh, my kid wanted the new Thor movie. Let me get Thor end of days. And it's some like $150,000 budget movie. Uh, but we need, I bring that up because Alex Anzalone is Thor end of days Thor, not Chris Hemsworth Thor. We need him to get out of the way so the real Thor, Malcolm Rodriguez, <laughs> can take center stage. But it hasn't happened yet, folks. I'm sorry yeah. to break it to you. It will happen. I truly believe that, but we're not there yet. So I agree. Petrie is the one that I would go with. Next question here, we got a two-pack from Zanman. Ask, I have two questions, one specific and one theoretical. Specifically, would you start Rashawn Gary or Trayvon Walker this week? So I'm starting Rashawn Gary. Um, we talked about the matchup against Chicago already because of Kenny Clark, but it's it's an ideal matchup as far as uh, pass rushers uh, get. Um, I know Walker had that impressive week one. He, he really showed off that at the athleticism with the, the interception and he did get a sack in that game as well. Um, so it got people excited. I think the concerns about his pass rush ability are still there though, had just a 3% pressure rate and a 6.3% win rate for a 53.5 pass rush grade. Look, and it's not, I'm not saying I dislike Trayvon Walker. I think that's been a common misconception based on what I've talked about him uh, this off season. He's going to get the volume. He's going to get the workload and he's going to develop, right? We haven't seen this level of athlete before. Um, but trusting him over Rashawn Gary, I just, I wouldn't do it uh, at this point. So you look at somebody like Rashawn Gary, who had a 19.2% pressure rate and win rate. Um, we've just seen it with him uh, a little bit more. And then you get a matchup against Justin Fields, who does give pass rushers plenty of time to get home. He had the highest time to throw at 3.64 seconds in week one. Um, that was something that continued over from last season. He was up over three seconds as well. So very high rate. Um, and obviously that O-line is nowhere near perfect either. So Rashawn Gary for me this week. Yeah, I was going to say the accomplishment for Trayvon Walker. We just want him to be able to run a stunt without tripping over <laughs> his own feet, John. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> it's yet to happen, but 
there's there's hope that it will. I mean, he's just gotta get. He's like a like a baby giraffe almost, right? Getting getting his footing. He's gotta he's gotta get used to how athletic he is, maybe. Um, and and once once he does that and puts it together, he's gonna be dangerous. He's gotta grow into his body. Hasn't hit yeah. puberty yet. <laughs> we wish the best for Trayvon Walker in developing those athletic skills. But I'm with you. I'm not taking out Rashawn Gary to start Trayvon Walker. Not yet, at least. Yeah. Theoretically, do you think it's better to start a linebacker like Parsons, who has more chance for sacks, but maybe less chance at monster tackle numbers, or someone that consistently delivers double-digit tackles on a weekly basis? Let's assume one point per solo, half point per assist, and three points per sack. Thanks. Yeah, so that's a tough question because, I mean, ideally you'd like Micah Parsons like in your IDP flex, right, where he isn't necessarily benching one of those, um, one of your three best tackle-heavy linebackers. Um, But, I mean, the truth is there really isn't anyone else like Parsons because if it's any other kind of low tackle floor, high chance for a big play linebacker, I'm probably just going with the tackle heavy guys uh, and and benching the big play guys, unless I'm really desperate. Um, There's probably only going to be a few linebackers that I would bench him for at this point. He was my LB 13 coming into this year for that reason, um, because of the super low tackle efficiency, which we saw, but obviously the big play upside is unlike uh, anyone else. And he just won't necessarily do that every single week. So, Honestly, I think you got to start him every week just because you leave two sacks on your bench. It's going to be painful. <laughs> uh, and you're going to be like, why didn't I start Micah Parsons? But he's, he's, you got to do it. And he's just whether he's going to hit that uh, ceiling for you or if you're going to get the floor. Yeah, exactly. He's one of the players that makes IDP so damn fun. He shouldn't be coming out of your lineups. Like John said, there is no world in which I am ever going to bench Micah Parsons, even in those leagues where maybe you're starting one IDP. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm still going to roll this guy out there because I'm shooting for upside in that kind of scenario. And this kind of speaks to a philosophical approach to how you play fantasy in those linebacker spots. Like we are in a league that starts three linebackers, multiple defensive linemen, safeties, cornerbacks, and a flex. Now, Would I consider putting Micah Parsons into my defensive flex so I could sub those more tackle-heavy linebackers into my starting three linebacker slots? Absolutely. I have no problem with that. But I think the most important point here, John, like you said, you don't want to leave a supernova like Micah Parsons on your bench because I personally can live with trusting Micah Parsons and he lets me down. I cannot live with myself if I did not trust Micah Parsons and he goes for 35 points on my bench. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. That's that's the way to do it. That regret stings a lot more if you have that kind of output on your bench. So let's move on to the next question here from Reloy. Ask, who's a better deep league dynasty ad between Nate Hobbs and Caden Stearns? Hobbs still has disciplinary action looming, but looked great and played a lot of sweet spot snaps week one. Stearns may be getting an audition for a bigger role with Simmons on IR. What do you think, John? Nate Hobbs or Caden Stearns? Yeah, I love Nate Hobbs, um, but I I didn't, I, I think I might have missed this disciplinary action. I don't know what happened there, I, and I forgot to look it up, obviously, but um, I think I think it's Stearns um, just because I typically want safety over corner. Um, Justin Simmons obviously being on IR 
boost that uh, value for Stearns. I do love Hobbs, but Stearns should see some good and slightly more consistent production week to week, just because of the position when you're looking at safety versus corner, there's, you know, you're going to be less in man coverage. You're going to be used more in run support, things like that. So th- those all work in Stearns' favor. Um, so it's, it Stearns gets the edge probably over Hobbs for me. Yeah, Hobbs apparently had a traffic charge. He was arrested, but it was not DUI. This Hmm. was back, it looks like, in January. Uh, I totally missed that. So if any kind of discipline comes down, that obviously we'll just have to wait and see how that impacts. But I'm with you. Caden Stearns in place of Justin Simmons going on IR. I'm with you. I'm always going to opt for the safeties because – That's how I kind of have to read this is you're in a league that's got the DB classification where you're considering Mm -hmm. both of these guys. And I'm almost, almost always going to opt for safeties in those types of leagues. So uh, next question here from Ang Buxton. They ask, what's good? What's good, Ang? Good to hear from you. (laughs) Uh, League that starts two cornerbacks question. Trayvon Diggs versus Cincy or Marshawn Lattimore versus Tom Brady. I had DJ Reed locked in as my CB1 versus Cleveland, but I'm a little tilty on that one now too. I also have Sauce Gardner and JC Horn, but I'm pretty sure it's best to have them sit this one out. So Diggs, Lattimore, or do you throw Sauce or JC Horn in there? What are we doing, John? Yeah, I think Sauce. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Sauce and and Horn can stay on the bench. Um, I, and I'm I'm probably going Diggs and Lattimore this week. I think. I mean, Lattimore against Tampa Bay is always a fun matchup. Uh, you know, covering Mike Evans, um, usually shadowing him. So that's that's going to lead to a lot of targets, a lot of uh, a lot of action there for for Lattimore. And he's one of the better corners in the league, too. So he has that opportunity to kind of break up some passes as well as uh, add to the tackle total. And then Trayvon Diggs uh, against Cincinnati. I mean, the Bengals are a very pass happy team. They're they're going to continue that. Jamar Chase is going to draw Trayvon Diggs and I mean, you watch their college games against each other. Jamar Chase is going to absolutely toast Trayvon Diggs. It's going to happen, but it's going to lead to Trayvon Diggs getting in there in the box score as well because he's going to have to tackle Jamar Chase um, because he's going to get targeted at time. So those are probably the two that I'm going with. I like DJ Reed a lot this season. I'm not overly excited about the matchup against Cleveland, more of a run-heavy team. Him playing wide corner kind of keeps him a little bit out of the action, and Jacoby Brissett is uh, incompetent as a quarterback. So I'd not in love with DJ Reed this week. Yeah. I love the passing matchups there for Trayvon Diggs for Marshawn Lattimore. I am putting DJ Reed on the bench versus Cleveland. Like you said, run heavy team. No, thank you. Sauce JC Horn promising young corners, but not going to be rolling them out there over Diggs and Lattimore. So thank you, Ang, for the question. Love getting questions from them. Keep them coming, buddy. Next up here, you have a question from Mateus at plop, plop, plop 505 (laughs) on Twitter. Wanting to know a little bit more about some of the metrics that you use in the utilization report. So let's help out plop, plop, plop 505. Understand what these metrics actually mean, John. Yeah. First off, Mateus, that's a damn good Twitter handle. Love it. Uh, I kind of want to be like plop, plop, plop 605 now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we should just create a whole army of plop, plop, plops. That would be uh, <laughs> pretty amazing. But uh, 
so yeah so the significance of the zone and man coverage rates that i include in the utilization report as well as like the epa percent dime rate things like that so i'll start with the coverage schemes um the reason that i included those in there are for uh the linebackers um and i i only really have like the snap breakdowns in the linebacker section so i wanted to add something else for them um but linebacker tackle efficiency is often a result of the type of defense a team plays. And, and when you think about linebackers sitting in zone, having their eyes on the line of scrimmage versus man coverage where they're chasing and they have their backs to the line of scrimmage, it makes sense in our heads that they'd be better tacklers in zone. Uh, and the data, the data does back that up. When you look at the, the typical zone coverages of cover two, cover three, cover four and cover six, they yielded a linebacker tackle efficiency above 14% on average in 2021. And then when you go to man coverages, which is cover one, cover two man uh, and cover zero, it was either at or below 10%, which is a, a below average in, as a whole for linebackers. So it's a pretty significant difference over an entire season. And, you know, you look at something like that, it could be the difference between having somebody like a 2021 Foye Aluakon on your roster versus somebody like Alex Targaryen Singleton or Alex, um, what was it, porn parody Thor, whatever the one you were talking Yeah, that was it. I think, I think <laughs> looking back, it may be a porn parody now. Right. <laughs> yeah, that would make sense. Um, yeah, single Alex Singleton, Alex Anzalone, that is. Um, and then, uh, yeah, for for EPA percentage, the the reason that I put that in there. So what that is is the percentage of plays that yielded positive expected points for the offense that that defense was playing. The lower that that number is, the better. And the reason that that is in there is just for those leagues that use like a defense or special teams um, position, either in addition to IDPs or instead of whatever uh, floats your boat. It's just to kind of help figure out who the best defense is and was uh, as the year goes on. Um, It's just kind of like a little bonus one in there. Uh, and then dime rate, uh, was the other one. The dime rate is included to show which teams lean towards more six DB looks. Um, this typically comes at the cost of an off ball linebacker. So the higher the dime rate, uh, the less likely it is that we have an LB two on that team that can be consistently IDP relevant each week, basically. So there you go. Plop, plop, plop. (laughs) I have to say, John, there's probably a lot of stats don't matter nerds that just crashed their car into a tree so they wouldn't have to hear you talk about EPA (laughs) uh, on that last explanation. But folks, where else are you going to get this? But right here on the IDP show with John Macri, he is doing the work. He is bleeding out of his ears and eyes every week so that we can have this kind of information available to us. And this stuff does matter because in a world as unpredictable predictable as IDP can be. Sometimes we want to cling on to these things that are the most secure box scores we've mentioned are not that. So John is bringing forth these metrics that yeah, week to week, the impact is going to be smaller, but over the course of a 17 game season across hundreds of different players, these are what are going to drive the best chance for success for your IDP rosters. So appreciate the question, plop, 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 505, and appreciate the explanation there, John. Let's wrap things up, my friend. We are, as I said, nothing if not humongous nerds. I'm getting recommended porn parodies of Thor on my Google TV. So let's wrap up here. We're calling this pop culture chatter. I don't like to, I mentioned this, I don't like to recommend things to people because then if they don't enjoy it, it's somehow my fault. Like if I give them my favorite restaurant and turns out 
an excess of pubes ended up in their food. <laughs> That's somehow Josh's fault because he recommended they go to this restaurant. So we're going to talk about some pop culture things we like, and then you find folks out there can decide if you'd like to partake in those pop culture things, John. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I, I want to hear some of your recommendations. You've you've recommended a few to me before, and, and I've always enjoyed them. No pubes found in my salad. So yeah, no, <laughs> no pubes in the salad, plenty of pubes in the TV shows that we're going to be recommending, though. Uh, let's kick things off. I've got a couple TV shows I want to recommend for the fine folks out there. And then as a writer of books myself, I've got a book recommendation. And uh, so let's start with the TV shows, though. If you liked Ted Lasso, on Apple TV. And if you watch that show, I don't know how you can't not like Ted Lasso. It's a fantastic show, but welcome to Wrexham. So this is a sports documentary on FX. We've been watching it on Hulu. It's the story of Ryan Reynolds and uh, Rob McElhaney from Always Sunny in Philadelphia, uh, from Mythic Quest, which is a fantastic show on Apple TV. They bought the Wrexham Football Club. And so it's a tiny Welsh village town called Wrexham. They have the oldest international soccer stadium in existence there. This is a beloved part of this community. And this team had kind of fallen on hard times recently. So Rob and Ryan purchased the club and made, I think it's like a 10 or 11 episode documentary series as they tried to turn this team around. It's equal parts, Ted Lasso and major league. So if you're into sports documentaries, uh, if you're into Ryan Reynolds or Rob McElhaney, check it out. It's a really entertaining show. Uh, and like I said, on FX, on Hulu. Uh, John, do you get do you get much into the soccer scene? Are you into that at all? Um, not as much lately. I used to play, but I, I don't watch a ton of it. But I did. I wanted to watch this one because I I, I mean Ryan Reynolds is great, uh, fellow Canadian, and uh, obviously Rob McElhaney from Always Sunny and Mythic Quest is is just great. I've I've heard about it because I listened to the Always Sunny podcast, and he's he's mentioned it on there and. Uh, I just don't know where to find it in Canada because we don't have Hulu um, and you friendly Americans get to choose, pick and choose what you give to us to watch. So finding it is a little bit difficult, uh, but I, I'm going to try to search it out because I do want to check it out. And I, yeah, I enjoy Ted Lasso as well. So Yeah, you have to get it on your magic box that you get yeah. all the channels from up there in Canada. Yeah. Uh, I forget sometimes that uh, you poor second-class citizens don't get all the pop culture goodness <laughs> that we do. So sorry to tease you with a show that you might not be able to watch. Uh, but uh, here's one. It's on ABC. My next recommendation is Abbott Elementary. It was a big nominee at the Emmys. And season two premieres September 21st. So here in five days. This show is an absolute delight, especially if you've ever worked in public schools or you have family members who did. Uh, my wife, Allie, was a public school teacher for 10 years, and my mom was an elementary school principal for almost 20 years. So family background and education. And you watch this show, and Allie and I were talking about this yesterday. There have been a lot of good shows about public schools over the years, but to focus it on the educators in a city like Philadelphia, it's just, it's not necessarily going to be really thought provoking or exceptionally deep or emotionally moving, but it's just fun. It's funny and it's quick. These are 30 minute episodes. 
So, John, sometimes, for me at least, I like to just have these bright, sunny shows that you can watch with the whole family, and especially when you have that background and you can understand, I think, at a deep level, some of the nuances of teaching in public education. Abbott Elementary is an absolute delight. Okay. I, I honestly I haven't even heard of this one, so that's another good one to kind of to mention because yeah, you put them on my radar and then I'll, I'll eventually watch them. But uh, that is cool. Yeah, I was never a big fan of school, and then I'm never a big fan of teachers. But uh, not <laughs> obviously, you know, credit to your wife for because I I respect the position now that I more than I used to, so I might check it out. This show is a good reminder that our teachers are underpaid yeah, and yeah. undervalued, but uh, really cool. So Quinta Brunson is the creator. of of Abbott Elementary. She's also the star. So you don't often see that shows that are created by folks that they then are the star of that show as well. So go check it out. It's it's hard to find good shows that you can watch with like your spouse or mm-hmm. even your kids. I mean, I would feel comfortable if I had kids that wanted to watch, you know, TV together as a family, I would be very comfortable uh, showing them Abbott Elementary. So check it out. Season two coming out September 21st. If you enjoy reading, if you're a dork like I am, I have really been enjoying Alex Finlay's books here recently. I already read The Night Shift, and now I'm working on his first book, Every Last Fear. What I really appreciate about Alex's writing is that he juggles multiple perspectives and timelines beautifully, and I get, I appreciate this, and I also get mad at it because Every chapter ends on a tantalizing cliffhanger. So if I'm reading this at like 1230 and I'm trying to get to bed and I'm like, okay, just one more chapter, just one more chapter. It's that type of book. So Alex Finlay, again, The Night Shift is his second book and Every Last Fear is his first book. And he just does it really well. If you like these fast paced, thrilling reads, multiple characters, perspectives and timelines, check out some of his work. I've really been enjoying it. Sounds cool. Yeah, so I know you. I know you. Uh, you really only read my books, John, which I appreciate. Yeah, uh, but for any of the readers out there trying to get multiple types of pop culture consumers, so let's move on from my pop culture chatter, John. What have you been enjoying recently in the world of pop culture? All right, so I got. Uh, so I mean, think I think most people have been watching it, but I'm watching House of the Dragon. Um, that's I think the only show that I'm pretty much caught up for that's that's ongoing right now um i'm enjoying it i I just kind of jump back into the game of thrones series uh and and get it from you know a different perspective a little bit more isolated as it focuses on basically just this one family the targaryens um matt smith's character as damon targaryen is is by far the best character on the show um he, he he's been excellent and yeah it's only four episodes in right now but if anybody had a bad taste in their mouth left over from the ending of game of thrones um i think house of the dragon can help with that because it, it it is uh it is a different show and and it's good it's very very good um okay speaking of bad taste in the mouth i had yes. to share okay. <laughs> this incredible Uh-oh. quote that came out of uh the new york post this was shared from culture crave i popped this into our mcu chat and just i'm still laughing about it hours later so this is from millie alcock which is just a hilarious name considering the <laughs> quote that she gave but she said apparently there was a recent brothel scene in episode four john is this accurate There was, yeah. yeah. Okay, so brothel scene going on. She said, there were extras 
who we had just met who were like 69ing for 12 hours. It's pretty gnarly. (laughs) (laughs) And just the thought of... A, uh, extras who had just met 69ing for 12 hours made me laugh. But then thinking, hey, let me just pop this into a New York Post interview to prop up what's going on with House of Dragon. I think it perfectly sums up what this show is all about. It's yeah, pretty incredible. Uh, I think uh, I just thinking about that 12 hours. I mean, the, the scene was like it was literally in and out. Uh, uh, that's another there you uh, go john but, <laughs> the, i said um, and then me segueing off a of bad taste in the mouth i yeah, think yeah. we've just gotten simultaneously canceled twice here in the past couple minutes <laughs> yeah 12 hours seems excessive for what that scene was but uh i i mean there are worse ways to spend 12 hours so was... and and to think like okay action and then like cut 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 you right, two right. over there you are not 69ing as aggressively <laughs> as we need for this brothel scene i don't know i just love it i want to check the show out now just from this quote so uh uh, thank you to Millie Alcock for uh, putting that out there. <laughs> thank you, Millie. Thank you, Millie. What's your next one, John? Um, okay, so, well, basically, I I mean, another one that most people are aware of, it's, these are not like any kind of hidden shows, but I did a rewatch of the first five seasons of Better Call Saul uh, in August because I know the new season is out. Season six is the last season. And it's been so long between like season five and six, it feels like that I just kind of like forgotten everything that's gone on so i had to do a rewatch of the first five seasons before i started season six and my god it is so so good i i'm convinced that it is like far and away the best spinoff television show that like ever created it's it's as good as breaking bad i would say it's just so well crafted the acting is is amazing vince gilligan truly a genius i mean bob odenkirk obviously fantastic uh raya seaborn though and i'm pretty sure that's her the actress's name that plays kim wexler incredible she's she's an absolute star and she crushes every scene that she's in this show is just it's phenomenal it's just so perfect it's so well done i can't wait to to, to get it to season six hopefully i'll have that done by the next time we uh we jump on here but yeah as far as like spin-off television shows i can't imagine anything being better and if you say Joni loves Chachi or something, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> now I'm thinking of that Joey spinoff from Friends, wasn't it, that uh, lasted oh like less God. than a season? <laughs> uh, no, I agree because there are not many shows that could have be in the conversation as better than the original when the original was as good as Breaking Bad. Yeah. Now, what I will say, because I think we've had this conversation before, I think that Better Call Saul as a whole – start to finish is higher quality than breaking bad, which took some time to find its footing in the early seasons. But as a, it's kind of weird because it's a prequel to what happens in breaking bad, but Vince Gilligan and company are already in their bag. They know exactly what they're doing. Even if maybe the storytelling and the characters took a little while to come together, the craft, the level of craftsmanship with Better Call Saul has been at 100 from the very start. Whereas with Breaking Bad, they were refining what that looked like early in season one. And by season four, season five, it was a finely tuned machine that we saw. But I will say that show does not soar to the breathtaking heights that Breaking Bad did. So I still take Breaking Bad as the better overall show because it had more moments that could truly drop your jaw and you know, just totally shock you or wow you. There are definitely episodes like that. Like there's a great episode I'm looking forward to getting your thoughts on in season six of Better Call Saul, where you have these jaw-dropping moments. But I still take 
uh, Breaking Bad, number one overall. But man, Better Call Saul as a solid 1B, sign me up for that. Yeah, no, I'm with I'm with you. Yeah, the heights of Breaking Bad and those final seasons are just it's going to be hard to top that. But yeah, there's some just so perfectly crafted stuff in Better Call Saul. I mean, the what was it? The the court. I won't spoil anything, but the court scene with his brother and and the the battery or whatever it was. But yeah, yeah, just just amazing stuff. Um, So, yeah, Better Call Saul. I I can't wait to get into season six. And and if you're wondering, do they stick the landing? They absolutely stick the landing. So don't worry. Is it going to go flaming off the cliff like some of these shows do in the finale? I would argue it has a more satisfying finale than even Breaking Bad did. Oh, wow. Okay. Because it builds. Like when you watch El Camino and then you watch Better Call Saul in connection with Breaking Bad, the cohesive whole that comes together with these three properties in one is just ah oh, it's a gorgeous piece of storytelling oh okay i can't wait i, I want to try to start it tonight then all right there we go so apologies to pff if john's productivity drops he's got important <laughs> television to watch but uh no utilization once, report this no week, folks. sorry sorry folks if you want to break down a better call Saul, though, i got that for you yeah so um, what's next here on your list uh rick and morty's back um i love rick and morty one of my favorites season six i guess this is now um But Rick and Morty, I think, like, it gets a lot of credit for being, like, a hilarious comedy. But I think as a sci-fi show on its own, and I get it's a cartoon, uh, I think it deserves to be in the conversation as one of the best out there, just as a sci-fi show. I think the sci-fi concepts on this show are better, smarter, and more creative than so many others that I've watched. I've watched a lot of sci-fi shows, but Rick and Morty never ceases to amaze me, some of the stuff that they come up with and how well executed it is. Uh, I love Rick and Morty. I think I've, I've only watched the first episode of season six so far so another show that i'm a little bit behind on but um yeah that that would be another one if people haven't watched yet it's excellent yeah don't let it being a cartoon scare you away from it being an excellent show or thinking like cartoons are for kids like for all the love that the boys got for season three and i loved the season of the boys on amazon invincible is every bit as you know cutting you know cutting and dark and humorous and sick and twisted as the boys is and it's animated so i'm with you man don't let the fact that something is animated scare you off because that's where some of the best entertainment can come from yeah for sure next up this is this next show is one that i really want to check out it is up on our list uh because of your recommendations so why don't you pitch it to the fine folks as well yeah, so this is my this is my last TV show here. What we do in the shadows uh, is is the title. It's on FX, I believe. Um, it's it's just so unique, so funny. It's like a mockumentary style show about four vampires that live in Staten Island, which that concept by itself is is ridiculous. Um, but just the the actors in it play the roles like so earnestly and dramatically that it just makes it way funnier than it deserves to be. Uh, it's Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement that are the creators of the show. They actually made it as a movie um, previously, and that's how it became a show. Um, but it was it, a, a different group of actors. It was actually Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement pr- uh, playing the actors in the movie. It's a different group for the for the show, but damn it, they are so so funny. One of the vampires, like I, I won't give too much away, but there's the three typical vampires, and then there's a fourth vampire. Uh, is 
one of the funniest things that I, I see make, kills me, makes me laugh so much, but I, I won't give the concept away because I know you're, you're going to, you're going to watch it, but uh, um, it's, yeah, it's one of the ones that my wife and I both actually enjoyed together. She's not going to watch house of the dragon or better call Saul or anything, but uh, we, we really enjoy this one. There you go. That's out. It's tough because you have to balance shows that you watch on your own with shows that you watch with your spouse. Yeah. Uh, because, if you just have shows that you watch with your spouse, well, what happens if they fall asleep at like nine o'clock and you're sitting up and you want to watch television? You have to have folks, your own television shows that you just watch by yourself. But at the same time, you can't sit down and have nothing to watch uh, after the kids go to bed. So get a nice mix of shows. That's where Thor uh, end of days comes in, right? There we go. (laughs) Thor end of days. The porn parody coming soon. Hell, this new Thor was almost a porn parody with the butt shot we got oh, from yeah, Chris we Hemsworth. Got a good shot there. That was nice. I was pulling out the popcorn <laughs> like Natalie Portman was as well. Yeah. So, uh, why don't you wrap us up here with a comic book suggestion, John? Yeah, I, I, you put the books in there, and you did mention that I do only read your books, and that that's true. Actually, I, I still haven't. I got to get to Joey's book as well. That that will be one that I read. Um, but I'm usually too tired at night to read. Um, but when I do, I go to comic books. And Tom Taylor's current run on Nightwing is my my go to at the moment. Uh, excellent, excellent comic book story. Kind of uh, focus more on just Nightwing as, as opposed to you know Batman and Nightwing and kind of things like that. So if anybody's into that kind of stuff. Um, that's, uh, that's always a favorite of mine. That's where I do most of my reading. My, my picture books as my wife calls them. Your picture books. That's amazing. <laughs> it's like McBain says on the Simpsons, I was elected to lead, not to read. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's the approach you take, at least during football season. If you're going to be reading, it's going to yeah. be your picture books and yep. great recommendation there as well. So folks, if any of this stuff strikes your fancy, make the choice yourself. Don't come back at us. All right. You're not going to diminish our love for these pop culture properties but as nerds we would be remiss if we did not talk about some things that have been delighting us outside of the world of football but hope you all enjoyed this episode it's always good to get on and chop it up with john i know i was looking forward to this episode all week and hopefully you all enjoyed it out there as well john we mentioned the utilization report is there anything else we should be looking for that you have coming up over at pff yeah, so I got, I'm writing three articles per week. One of them is a rankings and tiers article, but I'll try to include some nuggets in there. Obviously, the utilization report is the big one. Uh, and PFF made the mistake of letting me write about offensive players as well. Um, so I'm writing uh, the top offensive line, defensive line matchups to target uh, and avoid that can help uh, your offensive fantasy teams each week as well. Chris Collinsworth comes down with the sniffles and John just sneaks in there to grab an offensive (laughs) writing assignment while he's on the men. So good stuff, man. Really enjoy all the work that you put out. So check it out over at pff.com folks. The utilization report is worth the PFF sub in and of itself. And if you're in those all 22 leagues, you need to be knowing what's going on with these grades and with these players. So go check it out. PFF.com. We will be back next week recapping all of the week two action. And then Bobby and Evan will be getting you set next week for the week three preview. So the wheel keeps on turning, folks. 
Make sure to check us out over at the idpshow.com if you'd like to support the show, if you'd like to have your questions answered on these preview pods. That is where you get to submit those. Uh, if you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can go over to Apple Podcasts, drop us five stars in a written review. It really helps us out. But thank you guys for listening. John, thank you for joining me. We will see you guys next week. In your mind. My-